it leads to a point where we're going to have a machine that's going to feed us knowledge that we ourselves that we don't know that we don't know crazy world that's almost godlike that's almost godlike i'm scott mcgrew welcome to sand hill road that's not just the sound of that first sip of morning joe it's the sound of someone shopping for a car on carvana from the comfort of home that's a good blend it's time to take it easy like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This week on Sand Hill Road, Berkeley Skydex, Chan Tang. We've always lived in a human-centered world. What will it be when we're no longer at the center? What will it be when... The best poets and writers and actors and scientists are not human. A note for our listeners, while we will talk a little later in the podcast about Berkeley Skydeck's unique program combining venture money, an incubator, and Cal Berkeley, we've covered that ground previously with Skydeck's Caroline Winnett in a previous episode. Well, introduce yourself. Who are you? Okay. Uh, I am Chan Tang. I'm the managing partner of the Berkeley Skydeck Fund. Chan is a big thinker about AI, writing, and I'm quoting him here, will there be a substantial percentage of humans that will be inferior to machines when it comes to creating economic value? Chan says we're diving headfirst into a deeply uncertain future. That's a lot. It is a lot, and and I will say that my thoughts on AI and the impact on society and humanity is evolving quickly. Um, I will say that up till about a month or, or two ago, I was pretty complacent, pretty comfortable. Um, even when Chat G, GPT came out, and all the parents and the teachers were concerned about how are we going to teach the kids anymore, what was going through my head was I can't wait to show this to my kids. Because I think it's going to make their lives a lot easier, and it's going to impact them. And I don't think this is a bad thing. It's another tool in the in the toolbox. But uh, about a month ago, I started to get nervous. And let me just break in for a second and say that speaks to how big this is. That I was thinking about the future of humanity, and my opinion on it has changed over the last thirty days. That's how fast this is moving, and th- that's how big a deal this is. That's exactly right. And and you know, in the beginning, when I started to have some of these, I'll call it darker thoughts. And then I started to talk to some people who are very well informed, who I thought they'll calm me down. Right? They'll 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 come back and say, "No, Chan, you're overthinking it. We're too far." I'm talking about founders, researchers, faculty at Berkeley, and quite honestly, um, not all of them feel the same way about this. It's, 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 a, it's a very, again, quickly evolving field, but enough of them came back and said, yeah, John, I'm also worried. You know, I'm, some of them said concerned slash scared. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that it made me kind of go like, okay, all right, now, now I'm not alone. 
Um, and it's really time to sort of extrapolate where these things are going to take us. And it takes us in some interesting directions. If there's a giant paradigm shift, it's hard to extrapolate much of anything, isn't it? That's correct. You know, the the um, we're struggling with the right way of thinking about this. So again, two, three months ago, the way that investors and founders tended to think about this was, okay, cool, we're now on a new shift in tech. We're now talking about, um, we think about 15 years ago, when we first had that shift from desktop to mobile. That mm-hmm. was a big moment. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of companies like Instagram and Uber and DoorDash that would not exist if we we did not go from desktop to mobile. So we thought, okay, this is the next one. We're going to create perhaps a dozen of um, massively new, exciting companies, and our lives will be marginally improved. Since then, in in the last month, um, I've come to the conclusion that this is as least as exciting as the invention of the transistor, and I've had people go, and I thought maybe it's as big as the invention of the internal combustion engine. So these are all huge, huge sure. transitions in, in our life. I've had people go even further back. I've had people say to me, I think it's as significant as the invention of fire. I had someone else say it's as significant as, not the invention, but the ability for life to see. It was equivalent to the, to wow, the evolution okay. of eyesight. Let's, so let's pick apart a couple of those because um, I do like the cell phone analogy in that I think it sort of underestimates how important AI is. But if you were explaining to someone just as recently as 1990 what the world looked like when we all had a device in our pocket that made us available at any moment, and had the entire world's knowledge inside of it, you would say, you just, you can't imagine what it's like in 2023. First of all, you walk into any waiting room or, you know, uh, airplane, uh, airport uh, waiting room, that kind of thing. Everybody's looking at these devices. Uh, You go to any concert, they're holding them up and recording. Our behavior changed around them in so many different ways. I think that's a pretty good analogy that you can't explain it to someone who hasn't picked up a cell phone what the cell phone world looks like. But it does seem like it's underestimating it a bit. I, I think that's right. I, I think so. When you think about, you're right, we can't understate how significant that transition to mobile was. Um, there are an awful lot of investors and founders sure. um, that have made fortunes in that process. And quite a few uh, and quite a few companies that have died because they failed to make that transition effectively. Um, but I, I think the difference is, I mean, fundamentally, when I think about the transition to mobile, it was somewhat gradual and it was somewhat predictable. I mean, you're right, in 1990, we would have had a hard time imagining Tinder and Uber and DoorDash, right? Those were, that's a foreign concept to us. But if you go back, let's say, five years ago, you know, before, or perhaps five years is not quite enough. Let's say 10 years ago, could we have predicted that these apps w- would exist? Probably. And even in 2002, go by 10 years prior to that, could we have somewhat guessed at what would come in 2012? I would say yes. I would say yes. I mean, we didn't know which company would do it. But if you remember back in 2000, I mean, we, we had 
the Palm Pilot back in the 90s. Right. I, remember I, that. I, oh, I had one. <laughs> I had one. Yeah. Don't, don't let the batteries run out. <laughs> so so we had already had, had hints and glimpses of the future even back then. Um, these weren't quite good enough. I think this is more fundamental because it opens up it's happening so quickly. That's the first thing that I that I I, I want to say. The the speed at which um, the improvement is coming is remarkable. That that word is not strong enough, right? Um, and then at the same time, it's hard to see where where this could lead. So I'll give you one example. So I was I was talking to so as uh, you are probably aware, we're now in GPT four, right? So GPT three was launched. Last year, GPT 3.5 was the basis of our chat GPT, which came out last fall. GPT 4 was um, finally made available to consumers last month. Uh, We know that GPT 5 is coming in six months or so. And after that, there'll be six and seven and eight and uh, and beyond. When I talk to some of those same peers that I talked about, we like speculate where five and six could be. We talk about, is there a possibility, and I know this is going to sound extreme, but I think it's it's worth thinking about the extremes here. We could be inventing our own God. Yes. Right? I mean, that sounds ridiculous, but it's not, it's not inconceivable. We could very possibly think about what scientists do now. They read all of the current papers that their peers have written. They think about facts about our world and our, and our universe. They come up with a thesis about a theory about what what series of facts that have not been explained by what we know now, and they postulate something, and they go off and they run experiments and they try and they try to either confirm their theories or or not. What happens when GPT five comes out, perhaps in six months, and is able to do exactly the same thing, postulate a, a theory that we don't yet have that our scientists don't currently have? based on the facts as we know it, suggest experiments that we can then do. And where does that lead? You know, it leads to a point where we're going to have a machine that's going to feed us knowledge that we ourselves- That we don't know. That we don't know. Crazy world. That's almost godlike. That's almost godlike. What happens to the to the people? I I was talking to Bill Davidow, uh, and he called them people of ec- zero economic value, and he didn't mean it as an insult, right? He just it's a factually true thing. The radiologist who could who's not as fast as the computer and not as accurate as the computer someday. And Bill asked, "What do we, we have, have to do to, do to live to meaningful live? lives?" And uh, we're going to have to grapple with that question. I think that's exactly right. Now, I, I I will say again, this is a my opinions on this are somewhat evolving. So, if I could give you sort of the short term view as well as the long term view, the short term view is yes, disruption is happening, but I think on the short term it'll be positive for humanity and for consumers. Um, and as consumers, we're all going to benefit. Uh, we can just think about all the services that cost a lot of money and realize that it's going to become a lot cheaper. So that's exciting. But on the medium to long term, I do question that, right? And you know, people have said, "Hey, when we made that transition because of the internal combustion engine, and now we don't need to work in in the fields anymore." Well, that was okay. Um, so, what's so bad about the upcoming 
transition. Maybe we'll just move from being- right. They, they've always worried about the steam engine and the whatnot. It'll be fine. It'll. We'll just find something else that we're better at. I think that we have to ask the question because for ten to twenty percent of the population, and we can. Um, have a deeper dive on is it 20% or 50%, but for some percentage of the population, they'll be better than the AI in in some aspects and they will have a role and they'll be perhaps even more wealthy or economically efficient and and have a higher value because now they have an AI to to boost them. Mm -hmm. But for the 50% that perhaps don't have a single skill that is superior to the AI, we have to ask the question, if we live in a society where you're compensated based on the economic value that you create through your work, what then? Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is fascinating now because I had a, a conversation with two fellas just, you know, over a, a scotch whiskey or something, which chat GPT came up and one of them was so excited. He's a sales guy. You know, I'm going to use it to do this. The other one, very bright human being, had never heard of it. Um, and I remember back, this is such a terrible analogy, but it, it, it works in my head. I remember back to the probably the early 90s, and I was sitting in a hotel bar with my wife in Washington, D.C., and we were talking with some other couple, and they were talking about how expensive the hotel was. And I said, you don't use Priceline? <laughs> and they said, what is Priceline? I said, it's on the internet. And they said, oh, we haven't seen the internet yet. Uh, we, haven't, you, we don't have the internet. And it was one of those where, of course, I had paid far less for the hotel, obviously, um, where there was a moment in time in which some of us were using the internet every day to do amazing things. And the other half was like, oh yeah, no, I haven't tried that out yet. <laughs> and we're sort of, and it may be only this, a very short period of time, might be six weeks, I don't know, in which there are those people out there that have never logged on to ChatGPT or similar, and those of us who use it kind of every day. Yeah, I, I encourage everyone to explore 
to experiment with it and really to think through those questions of how is this going to affect my career and how is it going to affect my kids' careers? I think it's a question that is beholden on us to try to answer now. What I will also say is that um, I'm not sure Head Start is going to help a whole lot. I think change is coming for all of us in every single one of our careers. I'll give you a concrete example of, of what it might look like. So uh, one fact that people have observed with some concern is that a lot of companies, the CEO, the management team, now makes significantly more than the people who work on the front lines. Right? Contrast that to where things were perhaps 200 years ago, where sure, the person who was, um, you know, the head of the construction firm versus the folks who actually had to swing a hammer. There was a price gap there, but I don't think it was that dramatic. Well, when when AI becomes widespread, and I think we're only a matter of perhaps months, but certainly no more than a few a few years away, I think that gap is going to be even more substantial. Now we're talking about a future where the management team can accumulate even more wealth. I hadn't thought of it that way. So imagine a world where it's not a, a 100x, which I think most of us already it's feel outrageous already. uncomfortable yeah. with. Yeah. Imagine what it's 10,000x. And you can make the workers more efficient and have fewer of them. That's exactly right. So I asked GPT-4 so, for a question to ask you. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, and so it responded... Asking good questions to a venture capitalist like Sean, I have some grammar issues about asking too, but anyway, can help you gain insights into the venture capital industry and the strategies and philosophies that guide their investment decisions. I think that's a terrible question. (laughs) It goes on, what advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs who yada, 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 yada? Uh, terrible question. I'd rather ask you about your first job. You were a paper boy. I was a paper boy. That's right. <laughs> that so that's up early. I mean, for for those listeners who have no idea what a paper boy is, <laughs> <laughs> is that really true? Oh man, I feel old now. Yeah, um, that is up early. What age? I was in seventh grade. So what would that have been? Eleven? Yeah, eleven, yeah, twelve. Yeah. yeah, and up at what? Four a.m. Well, so I used to do the Sunday Chronicle. Oh, excellent. Okay. And if you remember that, I mean, no, the Sunday all, Chronicle. Heavy as hell. Oh, it was, was in the day. I mean, if you guys have, I'm sure you've you've seen certainly the pictures of the paper boys with their pouches, yeah, front and back. For sure. I could carry four. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> it, was, it was that big. So I, I would have to make multiple runs where I would chop off four, <laughs> go go back and 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 um, get more. And my parents were lovely and so supportive. And they would actually, because we had to get the paper at like, you know, maybe four or five because it had to be on people's doors right. by seven. You know, right. Sunday morning, everybody wants to read yeah. their their uh, their a paper, um, and they would help 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 me fold and help me oh. you know put it in into the pouch. Um, but yeah, it, it was a really good experience. So, what did you do? That's big money at eleven. I mean, it's <laughs> it's that's you know that's a well paying job. Well, it's about the only job an eleven year old can do. Uh, what'd you do with the money? Uh I really honestly don't remember. I was a pretty good kid. I mean, I I collected comic books. I think there's a decent chance that, yeah, that, that a that, that a significant amount went in that direction. Huh. Yeah. I will tell tell you one thing that I learned in that process. I did not get good at it, but I came to recognize, man, I am weak at this. It was the part when you go collect money from the people that you send papers. Because I mean, now I know or I, I learned from some of my peers that that's when you earn the big bucks. 
The reason you do that in person is because this is where you, you get your tips, right? And I am embarrassed as heck to knock on some stranger's door and be like, you owe me money, right? <laughs> as a lover. So I was horrible. I'd be like, here's your bill. Thank you very much, right? <laughs> so, so that was a lesson. I was like, okay, okay. I need to learn how to be better at selling. Um, and although I am certainly curious how AI is going to change that world too. Well, the whole world has changed because I feel like I have to explain to the young listener that you didn't pay the bill to the San Francisco Chronicle. The the, the paper boy came around and, and got the money for the San Francisco Chronicle. I, I really think that they did that because it was a way to supplement oh, your wages. Sense. Right. Oh, it makes total sense. But yes, you're right. It's hard as a young person to demand money of an adult. So at some point you moved to China. Mm-hmm. Uh, what age is that? Well, so, I mean, I... Uh, I, we've lived in China off and on over the last decade or so. So we did it when my kids were like five or six. We wanted them to work on their Mandarin, um, which it has not been super successful, unfortunately. And and at some point, they're going to hear— Is it frustrating when people speak English to them? And you're like, we moved all the way over here. <laughs> For sure. Well, I mean, and we have three kids. So they speak to each other primarily in, in English. So that's a constant struggle. It was like, come on. You know how hard this was? Just just pretend. For me, pretend. Um and then, and then uh, the last few years, and then so that was a while ago. That was like a decade plus. And then about um, two years ago, with COVID um, starting to be a major factor, of course, around the world. But uh, our our kids were were um, were uh, dealing with the uncertain schooling situation. Sure. And what we knew was that in China it was it was quite different. Um, so back in 2020, it made sense to put them in international school in China. And uh, yeah, and and then now that my my daughter is in uh, of an age where she's thinking about college and all of that, it, it's it's hard to transition her now. But as she applies for college, of course, that will change because she will be going. We expect and we hope that she will be going to college here in the uh, U.S. As someone who has straddled both worlds, then uh, what are we to make of the suspicion of Chinese companies like ByteDance? Um, I get, you know, I get the concern. I keep waiting for Washington to give me some concrete example of where, you know, they they did something wrong. Um, where do you stand on ByteDance? I think the suspicion is actually pretty easy to understand because it's the same suspicion that I hear in China when it comes to U.S. companies. Sure. So in that sense, the sentiment is the same. What I think is really unique or uh, is unfortunate about what I'm hearing on the U.S. side is sort of the opposing voice. The idea that, um, yes, there are justified concerns about data and influence. These are perfectly fair concerns. Um, What are we giving up by having a concrete ban? Like, where does that end, right? Where Are we just completely saying that regardless of what consumer advances, what technology advances come from China, and there is quite a bit of it, we're going to say no to it just because— Well, and that's the thing, right, is that the the idea of banning TikTok uh, is that it is— that ByteDance would communicate with the Chinese Communist Party, that there is some ownership there, that ByteDance wouldn't have any choice but to talk, you know, turn over data. But that would be true of any Chinese app. There's nothing unique about TikTok— 
The next big app that comes out of China, we would have to say the same thing. To be fair, I, I think that's and I think that's right. I, I think uh, the the better question to ask is, how do we defend data? How do we prevent influence and banning a corporation is is not the is not the answer, right? I mean, what precludes? And I'm not really going to throw out any names, but even an American owned company. Let's say that they have an offer for like a, a massive commercial deal in China, but it comes with we want access to consumer data in the U.S. Well, technically that's legal, right? Is is that isn't that the 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 primary concern rather than ownership? So I think it's um the the better debate um in policy on the policy side should be how do we protect data? How do we uh, avoid Influence that applies to TikTok, to Twitter, to Facebook, and whatever comes next. And let's finish up with uh, your work at Cal. Uh, and again, I'll remind the listener that uh, if they want a lot of information about Skydeck, we have done that in the past. But what sort of companies are you seeing apply? I assume AI is going to to be one of the one. I don't want to call it a trend because of, you know <laughs> that's not fair to the people who work so hard on their company. But I assume quite a few of them are AI. That is a safe guess. Uh, so for sure. So we are seeing with the macro environment being what it is. Obviously, it, it's it's been down with venture being somewhat down. The deal flow for us is better than ever. We had a record number of companies apply. And I would say the caliber of the companies that we are seeing um, is just amazing, um, remarkable. These are companies that will absolutely change the the world in the upcoming years. In terms of the fields that that they are going into, we still see some of the stuff that we always want to see: um, sustainability, robotics, etc. But the biggest sort of up and rising segment is, without a doubt. Uh, uh, what's happening with with them? Chat GPT and AI. I think this goes back to the question that that GPT four tried to to ask me, and um, no one's going to no one's going to going to shed a tear for us. But for VCs, it's actually very hard to figure out how to place an investment in this in this some category. Despite what I just told you about how significant all of this is going to be on society, if I put on my VC hat and go, okay, how am I going to make a, Money. How am I going to pick a company where my investment is going to do extremely well in? That's actually not that clear. Um, I, I go back to the the um, dot com era. You remember the browser wars? Mm-hmm. There was a real question of Netscape in Explorer, who's going to win? And it felt like whoever won that battle would own the internet. That's why they fought so hard for it. Twenty years later, it's irrelevant. Irrelevant. Yeah. Yes. And I would even go as far as search. I mean, certainly Google has done a wonderful job of monetizing the search and 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 being able to to drive a lot of revenue. But I I don't know that I believe that that Google has gotten to own the internet space just because they own search. Um, I I think we were. I mean, I was frankly surprised that a platform like a Facebook would be as dominant as it it turned out to be, or that a single handset, in the case of the iPhone, could become such a dominant platform that everything else has to flow through it. So the the ultimate businesses that will win in this conversion, in this transition to the AI first world, is unknown. 
Um, I even have doubts if OpenAI, which is clearly the leader here, which is clearly doing tremendously exciting things, I'm not even positive that they're going to be a massive commercial success. Because there's real concern, and not, not, I don't want to say concern, but there is a real potential that what they're doing becomes commodity mm-hmm. very quickly. Mm-hmm. Very quickly. And, and how do you monetize? Uh those are my questions for you. Is there something I should have asked? No, I, I enjoyed the conversation very, very much. I, I, I think uh, I, I want the audience to tell me, again, the same question that we just, we just uh, talked about. What should our kids do? <laughs> <laughs> my daughter is 16, and I'm trying to give her some guidance on what to study. And, and I have to tell you, I'm stuck. Well, I will leave you then with a quote again from Bill David Howe. We should never forget that that human beings are extraordinary creatures, brave, endlessly creative, adaptive, and born survivors. Over the course of the last million years, we have gotten through much worse. Chun Tang of Berkeley Skydeck with cameos from legendary venture capitalist Bill David Al. If you're interested in hearing Bill's take on the future of AI and automation, that Sandhill Road episode is called People of Zero Economic Value. If you're interested in more information about Berkeley Skydeck, look for the episode called Berkeley Skydeck in past episodes. Sandhill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.